following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Every Christian and local church needs the message of Romans 15, 1-6. It's a beautiful passage about imitating Christ. And this is what every Christian needs to do. And it, it shows us that when we imitate Christ, it results in unified worship and witness. And so if you're able, I want to invite you to stand up as I read God's word. And I'm going to read Romans 15, 1 to 6, and you might wonder, someone asked me after first hour, why didn't you read verse 7? And primarily it's because it's not in the original Greek paragraph, it's, it's really in the next section, so we'll treat that next week, 7 to 13, okay? So we're only going to go 1 to 6, for those of you that really wonder, like, wait a minute, you missed a verse, right? So... I just wanna remind you too that this is uh, God's authoritative word. It's inspired, inerrant, and infallible. And it's my privilege to read it now. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray you'd have your way in our hearts today all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So it's no surprise, biblically speaking, that Christians are to imitate Christ. It's a pretty obvious point, but it's a point that needs to be made. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Peter said that the one who follows Jesus must walk as he walked, walk in his steps. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And here in Romans 15, Paul is pretty much telling us, you need to imitate Jesus. You need to imitate Christ. Jesus Christ, not only the basis of our hope, as we saw in Romans chapters 1 through 11, but the basis of our glad obedience in chapters 12 through 16. Now, I want to take a a bit of an aside here and say something about that, because I have said so many times, have I not? that chapters 1 through 11 is the foundation for everything that comes afterwards. It's kind of an obvious point, but sometimes it gets missed. But there are a lot of people that would say, well, doctrine divides, theology is not that important. And, and the idea here is that some people would say, well, theology is optional, doctrine should be avoided, and I'm here to tell you absolutely not. Okay, theology is literally knowing God for a Christian. Okay, everyone is a theologian. R.C. Sproul said that. Everyone is a theologian. Any thought you've ever had about God, about what you think he's like, that makes you a theologian, okay? Uh, Theology is thinking about God, speaking about God. And the idea here is that everyone's a, a theologian. You want to be a biblical one. You want to follow what the word of God says. And so a lot of people want to ignore the first 11 chapters of Romans and say, well, you know, I'm just going to focus on 12 through 16. What they find is they have trouble living chapters 12 through 16. 
And the reason why is a lot of people will hardly agree on the practical nature of the final chapters in Romans. But they have trouble living it because often they don't have the foundation of the first 11 chapters. And what will happen is it's easy then to be legalistic, it's easy to be licentious. And you wanna be biblical in your approach, so you've gotta realize that 12 through 16 is built upon the foundation of one through 11. And I know I keep hammering this point, but I think it's just very crucial to understand. You go through all the other letters in the New Testament, very, very similar. Starts with, with solid uh, foundational theological doctrinal truth and then builds to here's how you live it. Here's how you live it out. So now we're in the place in Romans where it's like, here's how you live the gospel. Here's how you live the gospel. And in our passage today, Paul is, con is beginning to, to conclude the letter. Here in chapter 15. He's literally about to, to start to land the plane, okay? And you know what happens before the plane begins its descent. You get some in, in important instructions, right? Like fasten your seatbelt. Well, first sit down and fasten your seatbelt and, you know, close all your... Well, actually, now you don't have to close all your electronic devices uh, a lot, but sometimes you, you still have to, right? But here in Romans 15, Paul is literally saying like, okay, we're, we're about to begin the descent. Uh, the final approach is coming, and we're going to see this later in in Romans 15, and then also into 16. But when we anchor today in these verses, it's right before we begin the descent. Okay? This is very, very important to Romans and the argument that Paul has made throughout the entire letter. And what we're going to see is that our imitation of Christ leads to unified worship and witness. It leads to praising God. It leads to people speaking well of God, which is what glorifying God means. And Romans 15 is, is, is continuing this teaching on the crucial importance of harmony in the local church, harmonious unity in the local church, that we must imitate Christ and please one another and follow Christ's example. That's what this passage is telling us. The idea is that imitating Christ by pleasing others before ourselves results in much glory to God. Uh, unified worship and unified witness in evangelism. So in this passage, uh, we really see th four realities that we need to embrace. First, our obligation. Okay, there's an obligation on us, and it's in the first two verses. And then Christ's example in, the, in verse 3. And then Scripture's teaching, verse 4. And then Paul's prayer Closes off with Paul's prayer in verses 5 and 6. That's what we're going to see here. And, and what we're going to see is that these are realities that we must embrace. And there's something about each one that helps us imitate Christ. So start with me in verse 1. And first of all, our obligation. The obligation of every believer. And it's harmonious edification. That's the obligation. That you would be unified and build one another up. Harmonious edification. Verse 1 begins, we who are strong have an obligation. Literally, you don't really have a choice about this if you want to please God. You need to do what this says. The strong needs to, need to bear with the failings. And that's an interesting word. You're like, oh, so they're a bunch of failures. They're all sinning and stuff. That's not the point here. They're not sinning. They're just choosing other things. And they're less free in their conscience. They're more tender 
hearted in their conscience. And it doesn't mean that they love God more. It doesn't mean they love God less. It just means that there are those freer in conscience on things the Bible doesn't command or, or prohibit. And there are others that have you know, tighter scruples, basically. And so the idea is bear with the weaknesses of the weak, those with less strength, and don't please yourself. So Paul is zeroing in on those with freer consciences and saying instead of fixing people, instead of trying to force them into your way, please them. Please them. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says, we urge you, very strong word, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And this takes a certain cautiousness on our part. This takes us being uh, conscientious, really, and caring. I said last week that we need to take more thought toward one another, that we should think more deeply about being careful with one another and say, what might trip this person up. I don't want to do that. I want to care about my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not going to think about what's best for me. I'm going to think about what's best for them. That's what this is telling us. This is our obligation. And we are either going to please God or please ourselves. And if we please ourselves in this context, we sin. And we choose that quite often, do we not? And God is showing us right here that it is the good thing, the righteous thing, the, the right thing to not choose to please ourselves. Verse 2 says, let us each please. And literally that word please means to fit everything together. Like it, it's just, just right. You know when things just fit together just right? They just fall into place. You know when you find that last piece of the puzzle? When I was a kid, I would hide that last piece of the puzzle in my pocket. Actually, not when I was a kid. When I was a grown-up. I've, I've regressed. God is saying, please fit it all together, your neighbor for their good. And it makes it even more clear to, to build them up, to edify them. That's the, literally for the act of building a building. The literal Greek literally reads, for what is good to edification. So please them for what is good to build them up in their faith for their good, for their benefit, for, for promoting what is absolutely for their good. And it's, it's clarified here as edification. It's going to build them up in the faith. It's not going to tear them down. We, we all know disharmony stinks. I mean, no one enjoys it. An immaturity to stifles you know, gospel goodness. It, a fixation on ourselves obscures biblical faithfulness. We know how these things go. And I know... I know you enough. I, some of you are new to me, but many of you I know, and you want to please God. You got up today, and you got dressed, and you went to church because you want to please God. You want to praise him. You want to pray together with other believers. You want to read the word together with other believers, and you want to please God. Praise God. Praise God that he puts that upon our hearts, right? So you want to please God, but you do ask the question sometimes, how do I know if I'm pleasing God in my life, right? We ask these questions sometimes. We should be asking these questions. How do you know? How do you know if you're pleasing God? Well, do you have clarity you know, in your life that you're doing that, that your conscience is clear? We talked about this last week, your conscience. Is everything seem right? 
You know, is there, is there in your life consistent cooperation with other believers such that you feel pretty good about your relationship in the body of Christ, in this local church? I read a sad article called, this is what the article was called, Why I Stopped Helping People and You Should Too. The author gave very self-centered advice, the kind, the kind that you don't want to take, but it also the kind of advice that I hear Christians throwing around a lot. I've thought these things too. We're all in the same boat here, right? Welcome to the Sinners Club. Well, here's this article, Why I Stopped Helping People and You Should Too. Uh, first point, stop helping people who don't deserve your help. You know how many times I've heard Christians either say or write, well, that person doesn't deserve it, walk away, you should blast them. And, and this writer said, if people don't care about you, you shouldn't help them. So they have to care about you to get your help. And if you think they don't deserve it, you get to skate. That's not biblical at all. Here was their rule number one, never offer anything for free. Number two, never forget rule number one. And their reasoning, people will always try to exploit you. I mean, this is a hurting individual writing this article, isn't it? Hurting people hurt people. This person said, you don't have time to help everyone. Only help those who deserve it. But I have heard Christians say the same thing. This person said, uh, first person you need to help is, fill in the blank for me, yourself. And then, if helping people makes you unhappy, just don't do it. And then, of course, sometimes you have to be selfish and Put yourself first. Oh, and then they go on. Stop helping people who don't appreciate your help. So if you don't get enough kudos and thanks off of it, stop. This is a worldview with no mercy and no grace. And we all think this way. Romans 15 is not built on, on self Serving, self-protecting advice. It is built upon the loving heart of God. That's what it's built upon. The God who spoke the world into existence. The God who, who gave us his word. The God who set salvation plan in motion before the foundation of the world, knowing full well we wouldn't deserve it and we wouldn't appreciate it. And of course, I had to read another article. You know, you Google this, and it's like all the articles are negative. Another article went deeper into depravity. Here's the article title. This is why you shouldn't please others but yourself. And here's all the reasons. You're going to lose your identity. You're going to waste your time and energy. It's going to wreck your self-esteem. And, and by the way, you won't get what you want. We think this way, though, don't we? And by the way, I know it's really easy for us all to, uh, to re reject this right now, like, oh, no way would I. Oh, man, I can't believe they wrote that. Just think about tomorrow morning, maybe, maybe midday tomorrow. An issue arises in your home, in, in your office, in your classroom, in your heart. It's emotional. It's relational. Think about how you're going to respond. What kind of knee-jerk reaction are you going to get? This person who wrote this article said, here's how not to be a people pleaser. I'm here to tell you right now, folks, friends, God says be a people pleaser. 
God says, be a people pleaser. Can I, can I read it for you again? We who are strong have obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, God saying that you need to be a people pleaser is in context because your motive matters. If you're a people pleaser because you're afraid of everyone or because you want everyone's approval, it's gonna go bad on you. But if you wanna glorify God, he's gonna be pleased with this, but you gotta be prepared because not everyone will receive your kindness. You're gonna run into nitpickers. You know what a nitpicker is, right? Someone who finds fault with everyone, everywhere they look. They're extremely critical, they're puffed up with pride, they've got logs in their eyes. Nit nitpickers, they're, they're more concerned with themselves and, and, and you know what it proves? They don't know what true nitpicking is. Do you know what true nitpicking is? I taught first hour what nitpicking is. A lot of them didn't know what nitpicking really is. It is the task of removing the tiny eggs of lice, nits, from someone's hair. All the moms in the room were like, yep, done that. Someone told me after first hour, oh, they just used to douse us in kerosene. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Don't light a match. <laughs> it's like, okay, but before lice comes, before chemical cures, you had to do this. Very tedious activity, by the way. Required very close attention and care. You had to remove the nits from someone's hair. You had to help them. The nits are getting cemented on individual hair follicles. Uh, and before lice comes, before chemical cures, what you had to do was this slow, laborious process where the root of every hair had to be examined for infestation. Oh, you had to care a lot about someone to be a nitpicker. Thank you, moms. We love you. So how can you get more dialed into helping fellow believers versus hindering them? Be a biblical nitpicker. Work hard for others' good. Help and bless other people immensely. Because our obligation is harmonious edification. Let's move on to Christ's example, verse three. Christ's example it's one of substitutionary endurance. For us, in our place, Christ went all the way to the cross. He endured the shame. He despised the shame. He endured the insults and the reviling. He did what would benefit us. It says in verse 3, as it is written, Christ did not please himself as it is written, now it's Psalm 69 verse 9 is going to get quoted and applied to Jesus. As it is written, the reproaches. Now reproaches just getting insults heaped upon. You ever, you ever had insults just heaped upon you and it just keeps coming? Like snowballs on you, crushes you even? The reproaches, the heaped insults of those who reproached you, God the Father, fell on me, God the Son. Christ didn't live to please himself, but willingly took upon himself the reproaches directed against the Father. 
He satisfied the wrath of God against sin. It, it all fell on him. Reproach, reviling, insult. And he did it for us in our place. This is about imitating Christ. This imitation of the unselfish love of Jesus, it's an important theme in Paul's letters. It just all through the New Testament. He encourages the Galatians, bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. That's why, because you fulfill the law of Christ. It's built on, on Galatians 3.13, the example of Christ's willingness to redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us in our place. He told the Corinthians, don't insist upon your own preferences, but imitate Christ. Just like he said, I did that too. First Corinthians 11.1, 1, he goes, I did this, you need to do this. He urges the Corinthians to help needy believers in Jerusalem and imitate the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8.9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He tells the Ephesians, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, loving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you and gave himself up for us. You go on into Ephesians 5, and it's imitate Christ. Paul is, is referring to Christ's life and death. This is the big example. You can't get bigger than this. You can't get higher than this. He goes to the top with this example. Interprets Christ's unselfishness through the lens of the reproach that the psalmist endured on behalf of God. When you think about the reviling and insults that Jesus endured while on earth before the cross from the scribes and from the chief priests and you think about the, the reviling while he was on the cross. And this is in the context of Paul speaking straight to those with freer consciences. They're free to enjoy things formerly restricted by law. These are the people who say, we're not gonna add restrictions unless scripture does. It's a wise thing to do. But there are others that on matters of conscience say, well, I don't think I should do that. And you get into the realm, as we've been in now for uh, a chapter and a half now, about Christian liberty. And there's two things every Christian needs to know about that. Number one, and 1 Timothy 4.14 tells us this, that nothing in itself is unclean. 1 Timothy 4.4. But that also believers need to grasp this. You need to be willing and we, said, we talked about this last week, you need to be willing to forego your freedom for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, very bluntly, these first two verses in this passage say, uh, you need to put pleasing your neighbors above yourself. And, and the, the question why is answered in verse three. Because we're following Christ. Following Christ always means imitating Christ. You don't say, I'm going to follow Jesus and pull my, my sin wagon behind me. You don't say, I'm going to follow Jesus and he's going to be all right with how I live no matter what. No, following Jesus is imitating Christ. Living as he lived. He did not please himself in this life. He lived self-sacrifice in serving and pleasing others. 
Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give his life, what? A ransom for many in our place. Paid the cost in our place. The mockery, the criticism, those who reproach God the Father fell on Christ. So what Paul is saying here, what the Holy Spirit is saying here, freer Christians should be willing to give up meat and wine and special days and any other personal freedom to build up tender-hearted siblings in Christ. Siblings, brothers and sisters in Christ, willing to lay down your life for another. As, as Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Now, if it just ended there, we would have our hands full. But I believe there's more that is implied in the idea of imitating Christ. We need to imitate his hospitality to outcasts. Christ was continually crossing social boundaries and and even eating with outcasts, right? What did that do? That brought the wrath of the Pharisees and the scribes upon his head. The very first commentator on Romans was Origen. And he said that Paul's quote of Psalm 69 verse 9, and I quote, will become clearer if we call to mind what is written in the Gospels. How in order that he might help men and save them was eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors and the Jews were insulting these things. They were insulting these things. This passage of scripture we're in today is calling every believer and every church to extend friendship and, and, and practical help and, and hospitality to other believers who are not like them, especially those whose consciences are more tender. You know what this means on the most baseline practical sense? You need to get to know people in this church that you don't know very well. I met someone today that's been coming here for a year, and I met him for the first time. I'm embarrassed. I told him I'm a bad pastor. I can't believe I haven't spoken to you before. And by the way, you're going to go up to someone and say, "Um, hey, um, I want to get to know you, and you're going to feel embarrassed, but guess what? They already know you don't know them. Get to know someone in this church that you don't know very well. Find out about their testimony. Find out about their life. Find out about what makes them tick. Have a meal with them. I mean, it's tough to eat with people you dislike. And eating together breaks down selfish barriers. Jesus is the number one example. Again, Paul goes to the top with this one. Can't get higher than Jesus. Number one reason to live in unity in Christ is Jesus Christ. We are to carry one another. We're to please others. We're to build them up because because Jesus took all the reproaches and the insults and the reviling against God at the cross and he died in our place that we'd be clothed in his righteousness and live by his mercy and live by his grace. So Christ's example is the ultimate. You you ignore verse three, you miss Christ. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, 2 Timothy 2.8. He endured the shame. He went all the way to the cross for us, so we imitate Christ by denying ourselves and being servant leaders. Yes, that cuts against the grain of how we're wired. But yes, it leans into your sanctification in Christ. 
So our obligation is clear. It's harmonious edification. Christ's example is clear. Substitutionary endurance. Keep doing the good thing you're called to do. But look on into verse 4 with me. Let's look at Scripture's teaching. And, and Scripture's teaching is quite simply a source of ongoing encouragement. Ongoing encouragement. Verse 4 is like a parenthesis, really, in this, path, in this paragraph. For whatever was written in former days, literally it was written before, it wasn't written today, was written for our instruction, for our teaching, for our learning, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Verse 4 is telling us you cannot take verse 3 too lightly or ignore it. He's saying the Old Testament scriptures were written for our instruction. He is writing to both Jews and Gentiles. The authority of the word of God clearly evident in this statement. When I read that, I, I can't help but think of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable Good for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God would be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Your endurance in Christ is, is fueled by the word of God. Your encouragement is fostered by the word of God. And you all know this. If you're an athlete, you don't drift into endurance and into skill. Christians don't either. This is why it's so dangerous to stop learning Stop learning and die. D.A. Carson said, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to the scripture, faith, and delighting in the Lord. Instead, we drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. If you're a Christian, the scriptures have got to play a paramount role in your life, a vital role. Not only are they the source of your, of your instruction, your teaching, but they also give you ongoing encouragement. Everyone wants to be encouraged. The word of God gives consolation to your soul. And it's more than just feeling comforted. What happens is, as the scriptures encourage you, you receive strength and comfort from the scriptures to continue living in a way that honors God. That's the heart of encouragement. You receive strength and comfort from the scriptures to continue living in a way that honors God. You shouldn't come to the Bible and say, I just want to know it academically. I just want to know facts. No, you come to the word of God to love God more, to get encouragement and, and nourishment for your soul. You get strength to live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the scriptures is to give believers endurance and encouragement and hope. That's what this verse says. This is one of my favorite verses in Romans, and it's like a parenthesis. You must hold firmly to and acknowledge scripture's authority over us. It's inspiration, it's inerrancy, it's infallibility, and that you keep learning and say, I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, so i got to stick to the word of God. This is about the sufficiency of Scripture. This is about Scripture being sufficient. 
R.C. Sproul said this, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a technique, in anything and everything except where God has placed it, his word. Let me illustrate this. If you illustrate the sufficiency of scripture and how when we lack confidence in something all-powerful, we, we do weird things. Let's just say you were given an armored car, or make it even better, a tank, and you got to drive through, but you had to drive through a war-torn area, and you had a tank, right? But then you start thinking, I don't think this tank is that strong. I'm going to glue some, some plastic army guys on here to make it stronger. I'm going to even get a toy tank and put a few of those on there, too, to really double down on the idea. This is kind of like when we say that our feelings and our understanding and our experiences are stronger than God's word. They're not. John 10.35, Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be broken. You want to imitate Christ? Get ongoing encouragement from the scriptures. I want you to move on to verses five and six with me. It's a beautiful prayer. Just a beautiful prayer here where this is the kind of prayer that every Christian should pray for each other. I don't think there's a better prayer to pray for a local church or for individual Christians. Look at verse five, and we're gonna see Paul's prayer. And, and the prayer, by the way, is for unified exaltation. Unified exaltation, harmonious praise to God. Verse five says, may the God of endurance you see that? May the God of endurance, now he's using the same words that were said of the scriptures. May the God of endurance, literally perseverance, and encouragement grant you. So God, may God give you something. And this is something that God gives. May, may God grant you to live in such harmony. Literally to have the same kind of thinking about this. To set your mind upon with each other in accord with Christ Jesus. Literally, according to Christ's example. Verse 6, that together you may with one voice, literally one mouth, of one accord, with unity of mind, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to be great singers to do this. right? Just willing hearts who want to glorify God with their brothers and sisters in Christ in their local church. And to glorify God, and I said this before, but it means to cause a good opinion of someone. You glorify God because you love him and then you want others to love him. This prayer is that God would grant something so we're dependent on God for it but also the prayer is for that we would display something so it's contingent on our choices as well. And the idea is that God would grant something and that we would display something that would glorify God as a church under Christ's lordship. That's real community. That's really community. I mean, let me, let me give you some everyday ways to put this into practice. You want to you get really hyper, hyper practical here? Be vulnerable and honest and don't expect others to do it. You just do it. And don't sweat the small stuff. Sacrifice it. Give of your time and your expertise and your talents and your money in practical ways to make a difference in the lives of other brothers and sisters in Christ. When you're, when you're spending time, be present. That's the best gift you can give. Be someone who leaves others energized, not drained. 
Show genuine interest in them. Don't be the one that when you're meeting, you keep looking at your phone and being distracted the whole time or looking at other people. Don't be the one that doesn't introduce people to others. Don't be the one that always talks about themselves and never asks someone else about their life. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, Everybody in the church working as God intends. It makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Paul is praying for this. We should be praying for this. That God would grant us to live in such harmony with one another. That we would be unified as a church in our worship and our witness to the gospel. And praise God that he is so kind to us to grant such things. He grants these things, but he grants them as you don't please yourself, but please others. Theologian Herman uh, Bavink said this, the endless divisions of the confessors of Christ offer the world an occasion for pleasure and scorn and give it a reason for its non-belief in the one sent by the Father, inasmuch as it does not see the unity of believers in Christ. He says, as Christians, we cannot humble ourselves deeply enough over the schisms and discord that have existed all through the centuries in the church of Christ. He says, it is a sin against God and in conflict with Christ's prayer for unity in John 17, And it's caused by the darkness of our minds and the lovelessness of our hearts. The passage we're looking at today calls for Christian unity in a local church. Not necessarily where you all agree with each other, where we all agree with each other, but where we absolutely faithfully love one another. There is this prevailing idea that if, if unbelievers could only see Christians working together compassionately to help unbelievers, it will make the gospel attractive and interest them in the claims of Christ. To that idea, I say a hearty yes, that's true. It's based on Matthew 15. You're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Let your light shine in such a way that others would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Absolutely. But think with me for a moment. That's from Matthew 5. It follows up the Beatitudes, a whole list of largely one another's that Christians are to be practicing. It leads to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which is about how you need to treat other people in large part. So you can just use concentric circles and your common sense to figure this out, that this has to start in your household, and amongst your friends, and into the larger church, and emanating out from there. This is, a, this is a, an issue in, in, in the church. There is a first step that we sometimes want to ignore that impacts our worship and our evangelism more than we care to admit. Believers in a local assembly living in unity, loving each other, learning to like one another, 
Now, you might say, well, we don't, we don't know many people here at Grace Orange. You know, I don't know that many people. We'll work on it. We, you need to work on that. But there might be others of you who say, well, I've gotten to know some people, and I've learned I don't like them. That's the point at which Christian fellowship is really tested. Precisely the point where we need to learn to lean into real-life fellowship and not move away from it. Most people give up too easily and just go recycle their problems elsewhere. What I would say to you is stay in your local church as long as there's not heresy and false teaching being taught and love the people there. Love the ones God has put you with and receive their love. Because Christ did not please himself and we are not to please ourselves but please others. Now I realize you might have caused so much trouble in a church that others are pleased if you leave. I get that. But it's a two-sided issue. It really is. I, I say this so often to people in counseling and people when I preach. Just everyone repent and reconcile. Just, just everybody just do what pleases God. And then live in victory in Christ. Live in freedom in Christ. I mean, what would happen if you and I pray like verses five and six say? And then we live to match it up. Like our, our living actually goes with our praying. You know what it would eventuate into? So much glory to God. And so much joy in the church. Just so much glory and so much joy. Who doesn't want that? Satan. But we want that. Our obligation Harmonious edification, Christ's example, substitutionary endurance. Scripture's teaching is an ongoing encouragement. And Paul's prayer is for unified exaltation. This, this is Paul concluding his teaching on how Christians with freer consciences can love those with, with more tender scruples. And what we find in this passage is you cannot live your life solo as a Christian. You just can't do it. But you have power to endure from God you have encouragement to do so from the word of God. Uh, God strengthens believers to persevere, uh, encourages your heart through the powerful word of God, uses brothers and sisters in Christ. See, here's the bottom line. All Christians, all Christians must please each other and not themselves. Do you realize what would happen if every one of us did that? And I believe with God's help and, and encouragement, every believer at Grace Orange or if you're part of another church, whatever your church is, can live in harmony and glorify God together. Would you like that? I sure would. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you, you command us, really, you, and you empower us to to imitate Christ by pleasing others before ourselves and, and the result is unified worship and witness. That you, you actually help us glorify you as we live this life and you prepare us to glorify you and enjoy you forever in eternity. And so Lord, I pray that we would lean our souls heavy upon you because you're the one that gives endurance and encouragement through your word. You're the one that grants harmony 
to us. Lord, grant harmony to us that results in unified worship and witness. All for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more information about grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org. Thank you.